Michael Waits Media, telling Asia's stories. Okay, the recorder's on. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. I am excited, very excited, by the way, to be joined by Perna Junjunwala, the founder of Creative Galileo and Little Paddington Preschools. I get another shot at it here, though. Perna, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you here. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on the show, and it's a pleasure to be here. It is my pleasure completely. Before we get into the main part of the conversation, can we get a little bit of your background for some context for the listeners? Sure. Grew up in India, went to NYU Stern, then landed up in Singapore, started my schools over here, realized the potential of scaling in the digital world. Uh, started Creative Galileo, made it one of the fastest growing early learning platforms in India. So uh, that has been a little bit uh, about what we have done so far. I want to understand when you went to NYU, was that your first time living in New York? Yes, it was. What was that experience like? It was absolutely fun. You know, uh, when you grow up in a small city in India and like maybe it was not a small city, but it was more like as a girl who was very, very um, protected in the Indian ecosystem. And then you go abroad to study in NYU and you see all that freedom and all those opportunities and all that exposure. It's absolutely wonderful. So had a blast through college days, traveled a lot, went to Italy with a study abroad program with NYU itself, studied in Florence, studied in New uh, London as a part of the NYU program and then landed up in Singapore. When you were growing up, did you envision yourself going to university in the United States at all and then even getting the opportunity to spend, I don't know if it was a semester or a year in Italy, was that something that you could imagine happening or was it outside the realm of the things you thought may have been possible for you? That's a very interesting question. So uh, I was born in a very large family, okay, a very large Indian family, which has very old school, very, very traditional thoughts, right? And the thoughts was almost like girls don't need to study, right? Most girls in my family got married between the age of 17 to 18. So how education was not really happening over there. That was one. The mindset was that, you know, girls need to be in the kitchen, basically. And, you know, be housewives. Lucky for me, my father did not uh, ascribe to those stereotypes. So I was always allowed to, you know, work in factories along with, uh, along with my brothers. I was allowed to, you know, engage with the unions of those factories. So I think like while I knew it is going to be difficult to convince everybody around me that, you know, I should be allowed to study abroad, I knew I needed to be the best. So NYU was not the only college I got into. I got into multiple Ivy Leagues, but it was just that New York had a direct flight to India at that point. And that was the reason that I was sent to NYU because you cannot go to a Brown or any of those places, UPenn, you just cannot reach back in time. So I was pretty happy that I was, you know, one of the, I was the first girl in my family to go there. That's amazing. I love this idea that you couldn't go to Harvard because Logan Airport doesn't have a direct flight to India. It's just so good. (laughs) But it's a true story. And these are the details that people don't understand. And I think it's important because it's formative. It tells a real deeper story about the why 
anyway, when did education itself as like a concept become important to you? What happened? Um, my father came from a very humble upbringing. You know, he he so humble that if he wore slippers, he didn't. His brother didn't have slippers to wear, right? right. So it yeah. was it was something like that. And he was a very small time jute trader, textile trader. But that time in India, you know, it was communist times. There was an opportunity to take over sick units from the government and started to start revamping them. So he started to take over sick units from very remote parts of India, right? Like Barakpur, Alwar, like, you know, tier three, tier, you know, small places. So as a result of which most of my childhood was spent in like these very, very small villages and tier three cities. What happened was that we used to work with the workers over there. We used to be in the factory floors every single day. And the workers used to tell me that, look, you are educated. Why don't you teach my child a little bit of English, a little bit of math later in the evening, you know, when you're free because my child is struggling. Right. And I used to be like, sure, you know, I'm, and I was probably 10 or 12 at that point of time. And there were these other kids my age who were coming together and they used to uh, we used to study together. And I realized very early on that access to education is such a privilege. Right? It, is. it is possibly the greatest equalizer in today's day and time. So very early on in my life, when I was probably say 10 to 12, I knew in my heart that when I grow up, I'm going to be building schools. So that passion, that drive, that force was uh, there from a very, very young age. And I think even when I started Little Paddington, I mean, I was 24, 25, but it was just that, okay, I have the first million and a half dollars, all the money I'm going to like invest in like, you know, starting a school. So uh, it was foolish courage, I would like to say, but then we did extremely well, so. It, to be fair, it wasn't even really that far away from the 10 to 12-year-old Perna, right? In the sense that, sure, a 12-year-old is very different than a 24-year-old. It's twice your life, basically. But in year terms, it's not that far away. Did you hold on to this thing from when you were a 12-year-old, and by the time you got to 24, you're like, I've been not dreaming, right? Because dreaming means like it may not happen, but I've been considering this for most of my life. And now I'm just going to jump in and do it. And, and in Singapore as well, where just building and starting a business, setting it up is easy, but it's expensive to do everything there, right? So success and failure are pretty binary. Do you remember that feeling? Absolutely. But I'll say one thing about myself, right? It was not really a dream. I knew I'm going to do it. That's right? my point. Yeah, it was a very real thing for me, a very honest, like a thing that I knew I'm going to make it happen. I didn't know the scale at which I'll operate. I know, sure. I didn't know that tomorrow I'll be able to build a brand out of it. When I started five years ago, it was like a small neighborhood school in Serangoon. I didn't realize I will be competing with the legacy schools of Singapore, like Pats, Ethan, you know, like all the biggest school. And, you know, and after that, coming to a place where we are industry leading occupancy rates industry leading EBITDA margins our marketing spend is nothing like it's all just word of mouth so the brand that we've been able to establish in just five five and a half years of operation all those things yes i could not have imagined but i knew that it is education is where i'm going to be are there identifiable identifiable things that little paddington is doing differently than the legacy schools that has enabled such incredible growth 
yes there is a lot of things that we do very differently right the first thing is that for us education became very experiential we okay. wanted children to experience education rather than just having that um notebook and paper and pen and do writing so some of the really fun, fun things that are there in little paddington is we have a room in our new school which is like the um arts and science museum in singapore so we imported all that equipment and basically children color and the whole thing gets animated on the walls wow right so that is one thing we have a cookery atelier we have a united nations atelier where parents from different countries come together talk to the children cook with the children like you know we had a mexican fiesta children were learning how to make tacos and things like that we had amazing amazing uh, i think we were one of the first school to start coding in singapore for young children so it was really uh, it's i think it's about experiencing education are you getting copied as well in other words are you seeing some of the legacy schools look around and say maybe we should do some of those things so actually we've been offered um, exit multiple times by some of the legacy schools <laughs> don't right? do it yes don't do so, it multiple times we've been approached to kind of be taken over because you know everyone is starting to see the value proposition and not many schools in singapore can say that okay look we started 5 years ago we are ahead of the curve in not just our infrastructure not just our environment it also caters to and i was very sure that i don't want to just be on the most premium right like i don't want to be charging that 3000 so we try to keep our cost in the space where it is still more affordable uh, you know it's competitive pricing compared to others as well for the infrastructure the environment that we offer for the student teacher ratio we offer so we are we are doing a lot of things that went very very right for us and obviously we've we've been that's why we've been you know asked by multiple uh, legacy schools to join their brands there is a tendency particularly in the education space as you get successful to raise prices but one of the things that you said earlier is that the access to education is a privilege Yes. And you're staying true to this idea that being able to give education to as many people as possible across the board is just a really important tenant to have and to maintain. It's nice actually. And that's the very reason I started Creative Galileo. Go for it. Access to education. So with Little Paddington while we were scaling really well and we were on like we were hitting 40% of the margins, right? So we were like we are really doing very very well. Right. But you know the more i did it the more i realized that i wanted to get into education so i provide opportunity to millions of people and with the brick and mortar setting i can probably reach 5000 10000 15000 it is not going to become available to all the people i want to reach to yeah. and that's why i started with all my learning in the offline platform being so closely involved in building the schools being so closely involved in organically growing it and building the brands that all that knowledge that i had accumulated over the past few years i packaged it into creative galileo and you know put out my first poc and when i did put out my first poc i think i spent 15000 building it like that's it and we had a million downloads right so with no marketing spend so my cac was actually zero <laughs> well close to it for sure but tell me how does this work right you're sitting around, not and i'm going to simplify things for sure right you're running a school things are going well 
and you have this realization that I can do 5,000, 10,000, maybe 50,000 people, but it doesn't scale. It doesn't scale regionally. It doesn't scale globally. I can't put bricks and mortar schools in every small town and village in the world. It simply can't do it. And yes. even if you could, you don't have time, right? That's true. You don't have time and resources. Right. You're just going to miss a generation of people if it takes you 25 years to do that, right? Yes. And that's, and also the ability right like to uh, be everywhere like even if you look at the biggest schools that are their biggest chain they'll have probably 90 maybe 110 branches across the world but it's very difficult to you know be everywhere right otherwise you compromise on quality exactly i was gonna say you're diluting the brand actually the more physical locations you open because i think managing them Managing one is relatively easy. I'm going to say relative. It's not easy at all, right? But it's relatively easy. You can go there every day and say, we're not doing this right. Let's do this better. That kind of thing. Once you yeah. get two, then you get a formula down. Then you have three and five, and they're all close to each other. So you can manage that process. But if there's like one in Russia and one in New York and one in London, just managing it is just going to become very difficult to control. And this is the beauty of learning online today, right? Is that you can scale it and that the experience can be consistent is that yes. every piece of content that comes out can be controlled, whether it's in Bahasa, whether it's in Hindi, whether it's in English or in French or in German, you can control it. Is that fair? Absolutely fair. And that is the reason that we did scale so fast, right? Because uh, we were matching quality with the experience that we wanted children to have. We right. were building a product that was a pull product, right? So one of the best thing that I learned in Little Paddington is children can't be forced into school. We don't want children to be forced to go to school every morning. We want them to love school so much. They're excited about every little thing in the school. Today, I'm going to be building tacos. Today, I'm going to meet my bunny rabbit. Today, I'm going to, you know, be building uh, Eiffel Tower in school. So right. they are excited about these projects. And so that is why when we built Creative Galileo, we knew that, look, we have to excite the children. And what do we do to excite the children? Because on the other side is a teacher the child has never met. Right. If you do online learning. On the other side, there can be like, you know, some, um, there's no emotional connect if it's just pure online learning, right? Where, where a tutor is coming and just telling them that this has to be done, that has to be done. Right. Especially for the age group that I'm targeting, 3 to 10. Right. 3 to 10, teacher plays a very important role for Absolutely. a child. Absolutely. So what we went ahead and did is understanding children, they're, they're the most loyal customers, all right? If they like a Mickey Mouse, they want the handbag or school bag of a Mickey Mouse, a water bottle of a Mickey Mouse, everything, their entire world to revolve around Mickey Mouse. So what we did is we went, we got the license to the top characters of India, most popular children characters. So Little Singham, Golmal Jr., Simba, and just to put this into context, 60% of viewership they we, we captured. And that's why children love it when they come onto our platform and learn with these characters alongside them. So you didn't create your own characters. I just want to be clear about this. You said, Here's, here are the things that to which the children are already paying attention. Yes. This I love this idea. We, can I just say this? When I was a kid, right, I used to say, why is school so... And I loved going to school every day. I loved learning, right? But it did occur to me when I was a little boy that like this doesn't need to be so boring. Exactly. It doesn't need to be so boring. It should be fun. It should be a pull strategy where a child wants to play with my product. And in that play, the child is learning exponentially. So that is what my product is. You get the 
So just imagine, right, a world or a platform on which Dora, Sesame Street, Marvel, Mickey Mouse, Disney, everyone is together on one platform, taking children through different learning journeys. So that is what we have done for South Asia as a market. And now we want to enter Southeast Asia with those characters that are relevant for this space, right? Like Bola Kampung for Malaysia, Nusa for Indonesia, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you could do this in Japan as well. They're so into animes and characters. Is it expensive to license? So we did not pay any upfront costs while licensing. What we did, we spoke to all these guys and said that, look, you guys have great characters. We want to license these characters, but we can only pay you revenue share. We are not going to be paying you upfront costs. The most of these characters... Uh, studios were very happy signing these characters to us because edtech is an opportunity that can grow exponentially. Sure, uh, It fits right into their thesis, but nobody is building a platform like ours. So we had this great opportunity to just go capture 60-70% of the market in terms of viewership um, and children, uh, children interest with these characters at just revenue share and no upfront costs. This is such a great idea. Yes. It's just such a great idea. I don't want to say this, and we'll see what happens, but it's almost like you're tricking a kid into being taught, right? Because they're going to watch the characters anyway. And from the character owner standpoint, they're super happy to have you license it for free and just do a revenue share because you're basically building audience for them for future revenues. In other words, they don't have to do it. It's like this is free CAC for them as well. That's absolutely right. So that's free CAC. Everybody wins. And the second bigger problem that these studios face is that right now they just build content and put it up on YouTube, right? right? Or on Netflix or on Discovery Kids or one of the channels, right? Now, what happens is that that is laid back content. There is no interactivity between the children and the characters. Right. When we b- gamify this multiverse, what happens is that everything is interactive for the child. So that, ch- that, that character is suddenly alive for that kid. That character is suddenly a part of his learning, you know. So that to them is also a very big opportunity because it lends itself to the value of the IP also. Absolutely. Whereas uh, also opening a new avenue for them, with which at this moment does not exist. So you just said the word multiverse. I mean, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it, but how do you create that level of interactivity? Like you said, like there's no emotional connection necessarily because they're not face-to-face. And if the teacher is really important in that age group from three to 10, how do you create that sense of interactivity? So in this case, the characters are the teachers. Yeah, I I get that. Yeah. And the characters, actually, the emotional connect is already with these characters. So when you see a new person on screen, right, you may not have that emotional connect. But like, you know, so many of us go go for movies, right? With these like cars and all these movies. And you will see children crying when they are crying. You'll see them jump with excitement when they jump and say, you woohoo, you know, that's that, that they have, they have that emotional connect with these characters and that emotional connect when we bring on to our platform, they stay on to our platform for the longest time. So just to tell you, right, like how this platform completely exploded in its own um, and we saw the real potential is today any of the big companies in edtech is spending over $20 at least over $20 to acquire a user you know and this $20 can go all the way up to 
three hundred dollars for uh, as a consumer acquisition cost. Right. For us, that consumer acquisition cost is one rupee. Right. So it's it's just that a little bit lower. <laughs> a little bit lower. Absolutely right. Uh, not just that. In July, we held seventeen percent of the market share in early learning around the world. Right. So top eight early learning apps of the world. Uh, alongside Creative Galileo, we were holding 17% of market share with a CAC of one rupee. So that is the engagement or the draw these characters have for the children, where we don't need to spend money to bring them on a on a platform. They are coming by themselves. Right, and they think they don't even know they're learning. I, I want to ask you about this, right? Because I used to say when I was a kid as well, kids would remember history if they just put it to rock and roll. Do you know what I mean? If they just made it a song, they would understand every, they would remember every lyric as opposed to whatever silly lyrics were out there. And that's essentially what you're doing, but just for a younger age group, a younger cohort. Absolutely. Where does, sorry, where does personalization come in? Do, Do you know what I mean? In other words, you have all this data, what the kids are looking at, what they're learning, whether it's the math part, the language part, the arts and the aesthetic part, like all these things matter. How do you balance this idea of, I want it to be personalized because I know Michael likes these things and he'll learn better with this, but still maintain sort of a standard level of education in what's a pretty fast-moving world, right, where there are certain skills that people need to have. They need to understand a certain level of math and writing and language. Absolutely. So we focus on the six learning domains of the child, which accounts for holistic education for the child. So these six learning domains are English, which is language, numeracy, Uh, social and emotional learning, gross motor skills, creativity, which is arts and aesthetics. Right. um, Discovery of the world as well. Discovery of the world, right. So these are the six six learning domains that we focus on for the child. What we do with these six learning domains is that we have mapped the progression of a child that needs to be. What are the main school topics that the children need to know? What are the main... um, levels or learning objectives and all of these that we want the children to achieve right now once the child comes onto our platform we just let them play right for them it's just pure play but on the background what we are doing is we are very closely tracking that okay did this child fully understand the concept of a single digit addition right if they did understand that concept the next game it may be a dinosaur game, right? But it will cater to a double-digit addition uh, program for the child. And if we say that, okay, you know, this child needs a little bit more support on the single-digit addition, it may come up as a fish game, but it will cater to a single-digit addition program for the child. That is how we make sure that the entire progression is charted out. And we made sure that it caters to international standards and local standards of the countries that we are entering to make sure that children are prepared when they enter, you know, secondary schools. I wish people could see the smile on your face because Mm -hmm. I can tell you're really having fun when you're doing this. (laughs) At least that's what it seems like to me. No, it is a blast. It is a blast, you know, and, um, when you see all that you imagine happen, right? because when you started off, right, I started off with my first contract to build my POC, right, right. with one character. At that time, I was questioned, will other people come on board? Today, we've cornered 65% of viewership in India. Wow. 
then when uh, when the second step happened was that will you be able to make learning journeys happen through that and then we executed on that too so every time we execute then the question was like oh will you be able to get ugc's done you know user generated content for right. children on your platform then we got that done too so every time all the things that we planned and it's just been what a year since our launch but to see all that happen and at the pace so fast that it is absolutely rewarding as a as a founder i was gonna say it's so that is the fun part really about building something is conceiving it conceptualizing it you know you don't want to have a party and nobody shows up right yes yes and i enjoy the execution bit of it i can so feel much, it right? i can it's feel the it. process that makes it so fun is your dad proud I think so. Yes, he is. <laughs> he must like, be. He's one of those dads who's proud about everything, right? My child woke up in the morning. I'm so proud. You know, <laughs> he woke up in the morning today. <laughs> so he's he's just one of those fathers who's like so encouraging and so supporting of everything that I want to do. That's and awesome. the thing is that that encouragement has made me fearless. It's like I know I will get into it and I will get it done and I'll do it right, right? Because I know that strong support is behind me to tell me that no matter what goes wrong, it's okay. You can handle it, right? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things I used to say to my daughter, who's now twenty, was that like no individual day is fatal. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. A anyway, so you've recently announced a capital raise. What does that help build for you? So we did our first seed round, which was led by Kalari and CXX in, under the CXXO program of okay. Kalari. So the first fundraise that we did would focus mostly on building a team. Um, the one thing that I realized with Little Paddington very closely is that to build a brand, to build scale, you need a set of like outstanding people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's obviously very important to get those people on board and for them to feel as rewarded as I am feeling in this journey. Right. So uh, the most of the focus is on getting the team right and building the product to scale it further. So these are the two big things that we are focusing on right now. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things I like to say is no one succeeds alone. There, there's this myth of like this individual, super powerful founder that does everything on her own. And it just can't be true because there's too much stuff to do for one person, no? You can be a successful leader only if you have a great army behind you. I could not agree with you more. Can you talk a little bit more about what the CXXO program is in Kalari Capital? Because I think it's important. So the CXXO program is one of the first initiatives in India where they are supporting uh, women founders, right? Up, uh, so they are going to take up to 10... Um, 10 uh, women founders and support their journey in their program for uh, uh, for fundraising and building a community um, getting them mentored to build like to scale their businesses so we became the founding cxxo um, company the first investment of cxxo via kalari that's awesome when you take a step back and look at the growth You've already had 4 million downloads at least and maybe a half a million active users on the platform. That's pretty amazing considering it costs you one rupee to acquire a user, which means you're not either not spending a ton of money on marketing or the money that you're spending is just being really effective. Either way, it makes sense, right? Yes. But what's the longer term vision when you sit back and think about it? Is it a regional thing? Is it a global thing? And once you get global, 
Like 4 million people in a year is just a ton. It, could it be 4 million, 40 million people, 400 million people? What's the goal here? I think the goal is really to be the gold standard for early learning. It doesn't matter whether I have 400 million people or 40 million people. But so long as those 40 million people are valuing the product that we are building, are learning from it, the children are growing with it, that is what we want. And, you know, honestly, we've already, like you were talking 4 million, and that was when we spoke about a month ago, and now we're already sitting at 5. So it's 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 just it's just scaling really really fast. Excuse right? me. <laughs> it's just scaling really really fast. So uh, that's the thing. Like I want to make sure that we reach the people, and we are already reaching the people. So scale now is not even a concern for me because um, the model works, right? Now the concern, the next stage for me is to make sure that every single child who's coming to my platform, there is a value addition to right. that. Child. Right. And a value addition in a way that nobody else can provide because only we have the licenses to these characters who children love. Right. So that is um, that is one thing. Uh, for now, we've got, wanted gone into India wanting to get our playbook right. We've got in that playbook right. Our next market that we want to cater to is Southeast Asia to start off with now uh, and the diaspora of these countries across the world. The thing is that if you look at America as a market or China as a market or Europe even as a market, they have a lot of such products, right? Catering to the children in those regions. But completely right now, Southeast Asia and South Asia is a green field. There is no product made for these markets that is relevant to the children in this market. There are there are great characters that exist. Just as an example, Disney is a great character. Right. But an average Indian child does not relate to Elsa or a you doesn't know, know. Or whatever because his it doesn't yeah. look like them, doesn't sound like them, doesn't act like them, doesn't have the cultural sensitivities of them. It's very different. Exactly. So very. my point is take those children that children relate to, those characters that children relate to, and build on top of that because then they have that affinity that they will not have with anything else. So this is actually really interesting too, right? You start in India, get the playbook right. And I think to most outsiders, and tell me where I'm wrong here, India looks like one big monolithic country, right? But it's not. There are very strong differences in language and culture and food. There's a unifying factor there for sure, but in different parts it's different. And Southeast Asia is very similar to that, right? Again, from the outside, it just looks like 700 million people all the same. But even inside Indonesia, there are differences. Vietnam is completely different. The Philippines, Thailand, Malaysia, like it's all different. So you at least you've practiced that a little bit, yeah? Uh, yes, and very lucky for us. What happens with these characters are they are already being telecasted on channels in eight different languages, just as an example. Right. Right? So they children are already used to looking at them in these regional contexts, right? Right. And then that regionalization happens on platform. It is almost like a seamless flow that they are looking at. So uh, that is not as much as a challenge as it would be for the tutorial, where if I want to launch in Hindi, I need new people recording a Hindi channel, right. new people recording a Bahasa, new people. It's it's already there, pre-dubbed, and we can just take and gamify it. Can I go back to this? discovery process for the app itself if your target is three-year-olds to ten-year-olds they're not downloading their old their own apps you open little paddington in a neighborhood in singapore and the parents who are bringing their kids to school have other friends so they tell their other friends oh my god my kid's really learning here you have to go to little paddington 
you know, there are places for 50 kids, but 500 sign up. And you're like, I think we need another school kind of thing, right? So that's how that happens, I think. How does word of mouth work in the digital space? In other words, why are there so many downloads? Why is it growing so fast? So when and parents, so first thing is like there are two parts to it, right? Uh, children above the age of six, which is the six to 10. COVID has accelerated yeah, their yeah. understanding of tech. Sure. Right, sure, those sure, sure. kids are actually going and downloading the app on themselves. Right, they hear it from friends that oh, I can play with you on this app. Download it. Right, so there is a virality where children can play with each other, and they are telling each other to go and download the app, and that's how they are coming to our platform, or they are looking for their favorite characters. You know, they go and Google the little singum character, and our app pops up, and they start playing onto our app. So that is for children above the age of six, between the three to five year mark. What happens is parents, you know, there's a very interesting stats I'd like to give you. Tell me. As of 2020, the platform that had highest number, uh, how, highest hours of usage per user was YouTube Kids. It was not YouTube. It was not Netflix. It was not any of these Twitch. It was actually YouTube Kids. I understand. Parents are looking for content to keep their child engaged. Screen time is inevitable today. Right. What we are saying, let's make the screen time more useful for the children where they are learning and you are getting feedback on what they are learning. So parents themselves are looking, find, finding for the finding the app. Um, you know, parents talk about it now that, oh, is your child on an X app or is your child on a Y app? You know, what do they do over there? Right. And uh, definitely that is how uh, in the three to five mark we are scaling and six to 10 children themselves are coming and downloading the app. Wow. You said that the kids say to each other, I can play with you. Yes. So we have some social learning where children can play like learning games together, right? Like just like a spelling bee or a math whiz or something like that. So if two cousins or two friends are sitting in a different place or even in a different country or a different state, probably more likely, they can play with each other and learn at the same time. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Yes. Okay. And they can have avatars of their own character, right? You can be a Bahubali, I can be a Singham, right? Like, Love it. So you, you can have your own avatars and be playing with each other. Okay, I'm going to end here. That was amazing. I'm so happy to have had this conversation. Perna Jinjinwal, the founder of Creative Galileo and Little Paddington Preschools. That was really awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.